Well, this morning, uh, there's there's actually a um, an application and this invitation to even what the Lord was saying during worship. And at first, you may not see it, but uh, God willing, you'll see this uh, connection. <laughs> so I'm actually continuing our stewardship series that has been taking place for a while. And the title of my teaching is uh, Stewarding Provision Through Generosity. Stewarding Provision Through Generosity. And really, last week, we were experiencing the generous one. That all generosity, all blessing, all provision, all things come by, through, and in Him, right? And so this, this morning I have this one question. My question for you is, what is your generosity temperature? And I actually have a visual aid. And it's a meat thermometer. We are carnal. Are you with me? Okay. It's a meat thermometer. <laughs> and so my question is, what is your generosity temperature? And here's what I want you to compare, okay? That stewardship of your finances is like a thermometer. It tells the Lord if you have a cold heart or a warm heart. What is your generosity temperature? So I just want to start with this brief story, and that is that the reason I have a meat thermometer is because I just bought a grill, and I hadn't had a grill since we moved back from Israel, and Sam said that was actually very un-American of me. So we finally got a grill, and... We had done this research, and it started off with generosity. Somebody had given us $200 toward a grill. So it, start, it was already this generosity story. And then I'd done all this research because I'm Mike Blake's son, and you don't just buy the cheapest one. You buy a quality one that will last that costs a little bit more money. We're stewarding provision here. You hear it? You're listening? So... I find the one that, that I think is best. It's Weber, of course. And I don't really know anything, right? I haven't had one in years. I <laughs> Somebody in the audience said something. I couldn't quite hear what it was. <laughs> okay, it's Leah's Grill. I'll be all right. But for some reason, there's like manhood associated with grilling. I don't know where that came from. It's definitely not in the, in the word. Well, maybe it is the sacrificial system. Oh, man. Whoa. Uh, man, I am getting revelation right now. Oh, wow, Lord. That's crazy. Oh, uh, man, I don't know what to do with that. How have I never seen that? I see it as worship. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, we, so it's this, um, this amazing story. So, they had different colors of this grill that we wanted. And so, Leah and I, we wanted the blue one. 
There were different colors, okay? I know, it gets better. So we wanted the blue one, So, but if, when it was time to actually buy it, which was when I was working on this provision generosity teaching, I, I couldn't find it. They didn't, nobody had the blue one. I looked online, and finally I found one at Ace uh, Hardware. So I call them up, and they was struggled, and finally like, yeah, we have one. I'm like, great, and you can buy it online like right now. So I bought it over the phone, and it was this two-burner Weber grill, and they said, great, and we'll deliver it for free, and we'll assemble it for free. And I'm like, this is only in America, right? <laughs> and so, sure enough, true story, 30 minutes later, it was at my house. I know. I'm like, this is impossible. Again, only in America, the golden age in American history. The grill is at my house in 30 minutes, and I'm like, thank you so much. I'm talking to the guy. It's like, you know, middle of the day. And I'm like, I wanted the blue, and this is so great. <laughs> and he's driving off, and I look, and I realize it's a three-burner. The, more, the $100 more expensive one that I didn't get, because I didn't really want to spend a lot of money on a grill. And I said to the guy, I flagged him down as he's leaving, hey, you gave me the wrong, you know, one. And he's like, you know what, you could just have it. And I'm like, no, I don't want anybody to get in trouble here, you know, like, it's no big deal. I, two burners, fine with us, you know. And he's like, well, let me look on my phone to see if there's a, a blue two burner one. He looks on his phone, he's like, we don't even have a two burner blue one, so... Don't worry, I'll take care of it. Not a big deal. Just have the three burner. And I'm like, <laughs> what does this mean? It, it means that there literally was no two burner Blue Weber 210 series in all of Kansas City. And look, we weren't even praying for this. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm saying this to show you the generosity of God. The generosity begins with him. It's above and beyond what you can ask or think. It's like, Lord, what? And the hilarious thing was literally working on my teaching about generosity, and the Lord's going, <laughs> watch this one. But that's the kind of God we serve. And, and I'm, <laughs> if you don't have a grill, I'm not saying he's going to do this for you, but I think he's just showing off a little bit. And he wanted you guys to hear it because he's generous. But generosity is more than finances, right? And I don't have time to emphasize that because I'm going to emphasize finances today. But what I want us to see that finances are an indicator of our overall generosity. Our finances are, are this thermometer that you really can take the temperature and you really can see how holistically generous you actually are. It's like an internal gauge. or, or the, Your finances uh, indicate what's happening on the inside. And so I want to announce, first of all, you know, at Shavuot, we had this free will offering, right? So we raised or were given or were blessed with over $5,000. <laughs> Hallelujah. That we're going to give to uh, Tikkun Congregation in Tel Aviv, to Fer Yeshua, which means the glory of Yeshua. So we're giving over $5,000 to the glory of Yeshua, which is pretty cool. And 
remember, we told you briefly, even if you didn't hear this, in this Omer counting period when we were saying we're going to raise money for this, a church, actually Celebration Church in Jacksonville, where Paul Wilbur is and my brothers in Jacksonville, they're the ones who gave this like hundred and something thousand dollars that Teferit was trying to raise to expand their ministry. So in the meantime, as we were like, we're going to sow into this, somebody else in the kingdom gave them all the money. But we're still going to give them more, the money above and beyond what they were wanting for two reasons. One is because we said we were going to do it. It's a good reason, yeah. The second reason is because another story. So if you're going to talk about generosity, the person in this age, maybe in all of, all of the age, I don't know, who has the most anointing about generosity is Pastor Robert Morris in Gateway Church in Dallas. They are the number one giving church in America. They give more money than any other church. They're like the third largest, which helps. But they have an anointing. They have a blessing. And Pastor Morris has this gifting like no one else. And he told this story. He came and spoke to my doctoral cohort at the King's University. And he taught on giving. Now, this is like his life message. And one of the stories he told was that, how many of you heard of the Museum of the Bible? It's this new, it's in D.C., it's right there, right in the middle of everything, and it's like a billion dollars, and I mean, it is world, world-class museum. They have, like, so many authentic archaeological artifacts, manuscripts, like, and just has so much Jewish and Christian history there. And this is the vision of the Green family, uh, of the Hobby Lobby family, who are, are billionaires, Right? So when all this was, was in the development phase, the Museum of the Bible, Robert Morris heard about it, and he sent a check to David, I believe his name's David, it's in my notes here. Maybe it's not in my notes. Mr. Green, there it is, David Green, yeah. And so he gets a, Pastor Morris gets a phone call from David Green, the founder of Hobby Lobby, because they're friends. And he says, Pastor Morris, what are you doing? Nobody gives money to billionaires. <laughs> and he said, oh, I see what you're doing there. Pastor Morris says it's about the museum of the Bible. He's like, I'm getting in on that blessing. <laughs> and David Green says, you know, Pastor Morris, there's nobody on this planet I know that gets the Lord and his heart of generosity and giving and blessing like you do. You don't think like everybody else because he wanted to get in on that blessing. And so it's the same thing for us. Is it to fare Yeshua, probably more than most, is being successful in Jewish evangelism in Israel. And we want to be successful in Jewish evangelism in Kansas City. And their congregation is expanding. They're making disciples of these new, uh, dis, uh, new Jewish uh, people in their, in their community. We want that to happen here. And they're, they're multiplying congregations, and we want to get in on that blessing. And so we want to sow into that, even if they have all the money, just like Robert Morris. So, I mean, that's what we're doing. So continuing on with what is your 
generosity temperature, I want to start with the story of the widow's mite. So I have a picture of a widow's mite up here, and I have one here that's a real one. So if you want to come see it afterwards, uh, you can. It's just a visual because I want you guys to like kind of seep in this a little bit about the story of the widow's mite. So turn your Bibles in Mark chapter 12, and we'll read this well-known story. Mark chapter 12, 41. It says this, He, meaning Yeshua, sat down opposite the treasury and began watching how the people were putting money into the offering box. This is hilarious. Imagine this, okay? Imagine we've got the offering box right here during worship. And, I, and, and I'm like, all right, hallelujah, Lord. Okay, let's go ahead and bring up the offering. Uh-huh. And then the elders gather around, and we're just, we're going to watch you guys put the, the money in the offering. I mean, we don't even talk about the offering here. Hardly. That's what Yeshua is doing, meaning, guess what? He's watching your giving. That's the bottom line, right? He is watching our giving. He is interested in our giving. Continuing on here, many rich people were putting in a lot. Then a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, worth less than a penny. Calling his disciples over, he said to them, uh, may I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those contributing to the box. For they all put in from their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had, her whole living. Okay. So, you probably checked out a little bit because you heard this story before. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you're not generous. Okay. I'm not saying that everyone needs to sell everything. Two extremes here, right? But I'm also not saying you are generous. Okay? I'm glad we raised $5,000. I wished it was more. I had hoped it was more. All, well, here's what I am saying. That the point of the widow's mite story is that we can all grow in generosity. Right? Meaning it doesn't matter where you are, you, you can grow in generosity. I think that's actually the point of the main point of the story, which means that this message today is for you. No matter if you're rich or poor, it doesn't really matter where you are financially, you can all grow in your generosity. Are you following me? The question is, Lord, do I have a generous heart? Now, Lee and I, for the last eight years or so, we have raised support, which is very challenging. Uh, here's what I've learned. I've learned that sometimes generous people have a lot of money. And sometimes generous people don't have any money at all. And you actually don't know, which is really helpful because I don't struggle with meeting somebody and being like, oh, I know they're going to be generous. I really have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. It doesn't indicate your generosity temperature. We could have given, one person could have given all $5,000 of the offering, and that wouldn't mean that person was even generous. Right? 
That's, the, that's what the, the widow's mite story is communicating, isn't it? But it's also, it's not a condemnation of the people who gave a lot of money either, is it? It's not a condemnation of the rich. It said that the rich gave a lot, and that's good. So it's not a condemnation on the rich. Now, here's the irony. The irony is that God doesn't need our money. It's getting funny now, isn't it? Right? Our father has all the money in the world. I like to say my father has all the money in the world. I don't mean Mike Blake. And he's blessed. (laughs) He has all the money in the world. In the early kale days, I was wrestling with, with my role in God's provision. If you're struggling with your finances, there's a great prayer. This is why I still pray this. Lord, what is my role in your provision for my family? What's my role in your provision for my family? It's a great prayer. He wants to answer that prayer. And I, I was struggling. This is about 10 years ago or so. I, I used to sell life and health insurance with Leah's dad. I worked for her dad. I used to uh, uh, own a painting contracting company. Uh, I was a licensed social studies teacher. And I, I'm struggling with this whole question. And I'm in Eric and Susan's apartment. And I remember we were some prayer meeting. I don't know what we were doing. We were, we were praying, or, but you know, I don't know what it was exactly. And the Lord said, you know when the Lord speaks to you something, it's so clear. It's, I remember it like it just happened today. He said, Tom, I have all the money in the world, but very few hearts. I have all the money in the world, but very few hearts. So the full disclosure is, I've never been wealthy, all right? It didn't lead to this, all right? And now I'm going to give you all this money, Tom, you know? I'm always praying, Lord, I think I could be responsible if you give me a million dollars, you know? Anybody pray that prayer? I, I, I think I really could. You could trust me. And not yet, apparently. But it doesn't matter how much money, you can still be generous. That's the widow's might story, isn't it? And Yeshua says this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Yeshua actually talked a lot about money. We should probably talk about it more at Kingdom Living, just based on how often Yeshua talks about finances. A couple weeks ago, Eric and Sam in the stewardship series, they were talking about stewarding our freedom. And man, if that's not in your notes, that phrase needs to be in your notes. Stewarding our freedom. I just love this phrase because it so captures this foundational story of salvation and deliverance in Scripture, which is Israel coming out of slavery in Egypt and coming into sonship, becoming children of God. But sonship, it it implies freedom, doesn't it? And with freedom comes responsibility. So, Again, we're stewarding freedom here, so we're stewarding, we're stewarding this responsibility. And remember, we live in the golden age of American history. We live like kings, right? We have so many blessings and privileges. The poorest person in America is richer than anybody else in history. Fact. 
But the gospel story, what happens is, Yeshua brings Israel's story to her fullness, right? She's called to be this light to the nations, but without Yeshua, Israel can't become the fullness of her destiny, right? It's this, the, the goal is from slavery to sonship, but Israel can't get to sonship without the son. The, the fullness of the responsibility of the freedom is, is to step in and receive the son, but it's the same thing for the nations, right? We don't, the nations don't get to their destiny without the son either. This is the equality in God. So we become carriers or messengers of this freedom, of this gospel story, this freedom in the Son, and we have to steward that. But this is about growing in Yeshua. So as I was meditating on this, I was thinking, okay, Lord, well, how do you steward provision? You ever thought about this? Okay, we're talking about stewarding our own provision. So God, how do you steward your provision for the world? And here's my best summary of it. For God so loved the world he gave. For God so loved the world he gave. He gave his son. He gave his firstborn son. That's ultimate stewardship, ultimate provision That's generosity, right? To give your own firstborn son, to put your son through what he had to go through on the earth? I just want to connect this for you. So what day on the biblical calendar did Yeshua rise from the dead? What? What? What's the... what? For, thank you, first fruits, one of the Moedim, right? He, this is already on the biblical calendar before he ever rises from the dead, right? First fruits. Now, question what's another name for first fruits in financial terms? Tithe. Have you ever thought about this? Yeshua is the tithe. Of the Father. For God so loved the world, He gave. He tied His Son. He provided His Son, the first fruits from the dead. This is why the three coming up festivals, the Chagim, Passover, Shavuot, Sukkot, they require what? First fruits. The reason that you have to come to Jerusalem is because you have to give the tithe of the first fruits. That's why you have to come. Meaning the entire life cycle of Israel is actually based upon, rooted in, founded in first fruits. Everything relies upon first fruits. Without the first fruits of the barley harvest, we can't have a new year. We, we, we're not able to, to designate that this year will be the new moon for those of my Torah study. You know what I'm talking about. 
So because of first fruits, the calendar is ignited. Then we know when Passover is. Then we know when resurrection is. Then we know when all the rest of the feasts are, except for Shavuot, because it's depending on, you know, it's complicated. Point being that the entire life cycle of Israel is dependent upon the first fruits, just like the life cycle of Israel is dependent upon Yeshua who's the first fruits. Are you connecting with me here? It's, it's the same. It's the, it's the tithe of the Father. He becomes the foundation of the life cycle of Israel. All right. Now, giving, this one point is that giving has everything to do with Yeshua. Now we'll get into the financial part. Malachi chapter 3. How am I doing? Malachi, turn to Malachi 3. This is the famous section on Giving. So I'm going to give it a crack. Malachi 3, verse 7 says, From the days of your ancestors, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says Adonai Tzavaot. Yet you say, how should we return? Will a man rob God? For you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In the tithe and offering. So just to pause here for a second, really interesting. God is saying, return to me and I will return to you. This is teshuva, right? This is to turn. This is to go in the other direction. So how do you repent? How do they turn? By giving. Interesting, right? It's not just, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry for stealing from you. He's like, great, show me the money. But that's really what it says. It's show me the money, repentance through giving. How? In the tithes and the offering, it says. Then it says in the tithe and the offering, just to like pause here, it says and offering. So, and look, even tithe, if you do the math, it's much more than 10%. But I don't have time to get into that. There were three different tithes, and some are only given in the third year and the sixth year, and they, you know, it's more than 10%, but here's the bottom line. By adding offering here, he's not just talking about this minimum. He's saying, it's, he's talking about generosity. His point is, I want you to be generous. And we'll find out why. In the t- verse 9, in the tithe and the offering, you have been cursed. And with the curse, you, yet you keep robbing me, the whole nation. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Then there will be food in my house. Now test me in this, says Adonai Tzavot. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out blessing for you until no one is without enough, I will rebuke the devourer for you. So it will not destroy the fruit of your land, nor will your vine be barren in the field. Adonai Tzavot says, all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says Adonai Tzavot. Here's the, the bottom line. Stealing from God is not a good idea. Okay? Real simple. It's really not a good idea to steal from God. And not only that, if you're not generous, the text is real clear, you will be cursed. You will be devoured. Have you ever gone through, like, all of a sudden it's like the, the furnace breaks and the roof leaks and the car breaks down? It's like all these things. It's like you're being devoured financially, right? And it doesn't, doesn't mean that 
you necessarily have a curse. But I'm saying that the Lord here is giving us a, a principle to step into, which is that giving actually rebukes the curse of the devourer. And you don't want the devourer. And he's giving us the formula here. Why? We keep reading. He says, so that he can bless you. He's not doing it to be mean, right? He's doing it so he can bless us, but we'll get into that. And I love this part. It says, I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing for you. This is so interesting. When you think of an open heaven, are you usually thinking in financial terms? Honestly. Have you ever thought that way before? Probably not. This is, when we think open heaven, we're like worship service, the spirit poured out, people healed. It's like the context here for open heaven is your finances. Wouldn't you love to have an open heaven of blessing over your finances? That's what he's talking about here. So I decided to do some Bible research because I'm like, maybe I have a misunderstanding about open heaven. Not that we can... Not that it's wrong to think of an open heaven in the classic sense, but I'm like, but what does the Bible say? Good question, right? What does the Bible say about open heaven? Well, there's not a whole lot, but there are some. Here's some, there's three or four. There's an open heaven like visions of Yeshua. Isaiah has an open heaven vision, it says, and he sees Yeshua, uh, and, and he's a man of unclean lips, right? John has this open heaven vision, John the Revelator, uh, seeing the, the end, the apocalypse. Isaiah 64, 1 famously says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. So there's this, this pattern we're starting to see is the open heavens always has to do with Yeshua. We're seeing open heaven vision of Yeshua, Isaiah, John. We're seeing the return of Yeshua, oh, that you would rent the heavens. And then the other one, which is in several places, but I'll just give you one account, is this gospel account. These are the only open heaven ones that I could find. They all have to do with Yeshua. Amazing, right? Then it says, this is, um, sorry, Mark chapter 1. And the context here is the immersion of Yeshua. So this is the other great open heaven biblical example. Mark 1 verses 9, his, his baptism. In those days, Yeshua came from Nazareth in the Galilee, and he was immersed by John in the Jordan. Just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens ripping open. That's rent the heavens, isn't it? And the Ruach, the Spirit as a dove, came down upon him. And there came a voice from the heavens, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. I want to connect these dots for you. The context of this open heaven, they're all about Yeshua, and specifically, they're about sonship. Yeshua is the son, right? So, when we see Yeshua, we're seeing sonship context. So, these open heaven uh, encounters... Reveal the Son. And here's what I want to connect for you. Generosity leads to sonship. So this is, this is back to the connection. It's like, how does Malachi have to do with these other ones? Well, generosity leads 
to sonship. This is back to this desire to come out of slavery into sonship. But you can't enter into sonship without the son. And so then he says, how do we do that? And we, this was the question today. We're like, we're saying, we want more. We don't want these ropes. We, we want more of your presence. We want more of the Son in our lives, right? How do we do that? Well, one way is revealed in Scripture right here is through your finances. One major way, I would say. Sonship, therefore, leads to blessing, Right? The more you become like Yeshua, the more you're blessed. If you, re- if you listen to Pastor Morris's teaching, and I encourage you, get on YouTube. He's, a fa- he's an amazing teacher. I don't recommend very people, many people on YouTube. You know that. Pastor Morris, I recommend, especially on giving. But he says, uh, The, the, when he talks about the blessed life, I forgot to bring up the book. I, I brought his book, The Blessed Life, to encourage you guys to read it. But he says it's not, you don't give to get. You give to give. And, and something shifts in your heart when you do that. And that's why he says, I don't call it the blessed pocketbook. I call it the blessed life. Because when you enter into sonship in Yeshua and you enter into this, this stewardship of this freedom and you're responsible with that, yes, he blesses you, but doesn't, it's not this guarantee of financial, you know, overflow. But he will take care of you. Your children will not beg for bread, it says. But then the next thing from this Malachi portion I want to emphasize. He says, now test me in this, in verse 10. Test me in this. Test God with your finances. There's, as far as I know, I don't know hardly any other place in Scripture that he says to test him in something. Test him in your finances. He's, why, is he, why does he say that to do this? He says, I want your heart so bad I want you to be conformed to the image of my son so bad. I I want you to test me in this. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And I want your heart to be my heart. But giving is a a two-way test. So we test him, but then he tests us. And so now let's look in Deuteronomy 8. And I'll kind of head toward the conclusion with this quickly. Deuteronomy 8.14, and this is where he's testing us with our finances. So we test him, he tests us. Deuteronomy 8.14, he says, He brought you out from the land of Egypt, from the house of slavery. Again, it's this slavery to sonship context here. Then he says, He led you through the great and terrible wilderness, fiery serpents and scorpions, and thirsty ground where there was no water. Just... In, in our context, this is just life, right? We go through serious trials of, of want and need and trouble. But then in the midst of that, he says, he brought forth water for you from the flinty rock. He fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know. So in, in the midst of the trials, we have this miraculous provision, right? 
And if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says that there was a spirit-sent rock that followed Israel in the wilderness, and that that rock was Messiah. So Paul says. At a Jewish tradition, it's similar. Did you know that? That they teach that there was a rock that followed Israel in the wilderness. And that from that rock is where the water came. And Paul is saying, and that rock is Messiah. So in the midst of the desert, in the midst of the, the trouble and the trial, Messiah is with you. He provides for you in the midst of it. Is that not, I mean, have we not all experienced that? We've all been through trials, and yet you look back, you're like, he was with me. It didn't make it easy necessarily. So why is he doing all this, if we keep reading in that verse? He's doing it in order to afflict us or humble us. So in Hebrew, the word for afflict here, I think I have it up here, yeah? Yeah, afflict, it could also mean humble. So the Lord is doing this to afflict us or to humble us. Look, when the Lord goes over the top and gives you a grill, it's kind of humbling. You're like, like at this, it's like, are you kidding me? Right? It's like, you're kind of embarrassed almost. It's like, and then he made me tell you it. I didn't want to tell you the story. They like made me tell you the story. But he says, why? He says, to test you. He's afflicting us. He's he's wants to test us. Because he's a mean God? No. Why? To do you good in the end. To bless you. His goal is to do us good in the end. But Peter says it this way. He says, uh, these trials are so the true metal of your faith would come to light. He, he's testing us so that our faith will be shown brightly even. So I'm testifying of this grill story, even just to testify about his light in my life. His blessing, all this generosity, all this goodness, it flows from above, right? We, we get so that we can give. Why did the Lord pour out his generous spirit on us in a, in a, a, a more demonstrative way last week was to give away, wasn't it? It wasn't just to pat ourselves on the back or something. And then finally, Deuteronomy 8, 2. You are to remember all the way that Adonai, your God, has led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, again, same word, to afflict you, to humble you, to test you, and this is back to where I began, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his mitzvot or not. All of this is he's testing our heart. That's why I'm asking this question, what is your generosity temperature? Put in that, that thermometer in our heart saying, Lord, how generous am I really? Because his heart is that we would enter into the blessing of his sonship. So he's, he's testing us. He's testing us in our finances, not because he needs the money, right? He doesn't need the money. The money is just this tool, right? Actually, what's this widow's mite, it really mean, it meant hardly anything in the first century. 
Now it means that's actually worth quite a bit of money. The irony, right? That the widow's might now cost you a bunch of money to buy it. Because really, it's not about the money at all, is it? It's just a coin. It, it, it's just a symbol. It doesn't even really mean anything. Because he doesn't need our money, does he? He doesn't need our provision. All right. I'm going to end with practical application, which is unusual for me, right? All right. Real fast. Because we can all grow in generosity. We can all grow to be more like Yeshua. Okay. I have a principle here. The principle is called lead with a $100 yes. Lead with a $100 yes. I'm getting some good faces. All right. I have a secret to tell you guys. If someone in ministry asks us for money, I assume I should give them at least $100. Crickets. I assume I should give them $100. My dad taught me something a lot. He said, Tom, there's two things that are really hard to hear the voice of the Lord on. Money and girls. Because we're so emotionally tied in these two things. And for girls, it's boys, right? Just to clarify. (laughs) But it's really hard to hear the Lord on these things. And so if you establish a principle, what it does, it does something, well, I think quite amazing. Is it breaks selfishness and greed. It breaks selfishness because you're saying, I'm just assuming I'm supposed to give him $100. Now, I'm not saying that I don't still ask the Lord. The Lord can say no, okay? Uh, but but the, too often, our, our immediate response is, wow, I'm not, I'm, I'm, this is mine, you know? <laughs> I'm not going to give them money. And you start to see the holes in their ministry, right? Hello? Because everybody has holes in their ministry. Don't look too closely at mine, you know? But lead with a $100 yes. I'm loving this one. You guys are really. You know what Yeshua says? He says, give to everyone who asks of you. That's in the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, the plane. It's in Luke 6. Then he says right after that, the very next verse, do to others as you would have them do to you. Wow, this is like Bible 101 stuff, isn't it? It's actually really humbling, I can tell you, to ask people for money. And I know we're afraid that we're going to give all of our money away. But you know what I've found is that it's actually less frequent than you think that somebody actually asks you for money. You guys still with me? I don't mean a mailer in the, in your, the mail, okay? I mean somebody personally asks you. Like, that's in ministry. I'll get to the stranger in just a second. Robert Morris goes a step for, 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 uh, further than me, and he actually carries $100 bills in his pocket. And as the Lord prompts him, he gives away $100 bills in the name of Yeshua. Now, I'm not there yet. <laughs> but some of you could be. Second application, if someone on the street asks you for money, this is good, we're getting practical, this is a good one. Quick question, how many of you live in the inner city? 
Very few, okay? So I'll talk to you in a second. Most of you don't live in the inner city, apparently. I used to go to church in Midtown, okay? I know you just think I'm a white guy from Kansas suburbs, but I have a little experience. And so if you live in the inner city, it's a little different. I get it. Because you live in there. If, if, if somebody asks you for money, and I knew the homeless guys, what we would do is we'd offer to buy them food. We'd pray with them. You know, rarely would I actually give them money because I knew these guys, okay? And they were around, okay? But most of you didn't raise your hand. So quick question, how many of you have been asked for money by a stranger in the last week? Really? That many? That's great news. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I'm not saying $100, so I know I can feel the tension in the room. But I just want to fight something because I feel like what happens when somebody asks you for money, a lot of times our first thought, you have this concern for them all of a sudden. And the concern is you're going to use this money for drugs and alcohol. Uh, We didn't care about them like five minutes before that when they were over here by themselves. All of a sudden we're like, I'm really concerned about what they might, their, their financial stewardship. Aren't we? Or you're concerned, but they're lying to me. And often they are, probably most of the time. Maybe that's too far. I have a new question for us. What if it's not about them? What if it's a test? Remember I'm saying God's testing us? What if God's testing your heart? What if he's testing your generosity in that moment? For God so loved the world, he gave. And yet, while we were still sinners, Messiah died for us, right? Which means while we were still addicts, while we were still on drugs, while we were still liars... He gave, even though we are being completely irresponsible with his gift of grace and mercy, weren't we? And we still do. So maybe you give him $5, $20. Like, even if you gave $20 a week, it's still not that much money at the end of the year. So you gave $500 away, $1,000. Is that, that's really not that much money. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? I'm convinced if you don't live in the inner city, it's more of a test on your own generosity. Last point. Final application. Let's all stand. This is for parents. Again, I quote Mike Blake. I have a generational blessing on this. Because we want to cultivate generosity in our children, yes? So two points. First is, my dad made us do this, and I do this for my kids. And I'm not saying you have to do it like this, but this is just the principle. Is that every dollar that I made as a kid, and I started mowing lawns for money in fifth grade, is I had to give fifty I had to give ten percent in tithe, ten percent in offering, and I had to save fifty percent for savings. So I only made thirty percent of every dollar up until I turned eighteen. 
But what it taught me and it cultivated me was a heart of generosity. And I would get excited about what to do with that 10% offering because I got to pick whatever I wanted to do with that. And tithe went to the local congregation, but I, it's, it cultivated something in me beyond. And I'm already seeing it in my kids where when we have different things like the Shavuot offering, they wanted to participate with their offering money. And we support a, a, a Messianic Jewish boy in Ethiopia, and, and Cass wanted to give her offering money to him. Because the second point is you have to model it. Right? If you want your kids to be generous, you have to be generous. They don't just miraculously grow up and become generous. So we have to model this generosity for them. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving your son, Yeshua, that you so loved the world that you gave. We thank you for providing everything that we need. You've given us everything we need for life and godliness. But Lord, we want to be more generous. We want to cultivate a greater heart of generosity. We want to step into this greater authority in your sonship. We want to be more like you, Father. We want to be more generous. So wake us up to our generosity temperatures, Lord. Show us our heart. Reveal our hearts. Lord, I know that you have all the money in the world, but very few hearts. So we give you our hearts this morning. We repent from stealing from you. We repent, Lord. We, we rebuke the devourer. We turn, and we know that you will turn to us. Lord, bring us out of slavery and into sonship. Help us to steward our freedom with generosity. Father, I pray that we would have an open heaven of blessing in this congregation. Lord, I even pray that we would be known for our generosity, that it wouldn't just be to fare Yeshua that hears about us, but this, this small Messianic congregation in Kansas City is so generous that we would be a giving congregation, that we would model the Father's love for the world. We thank you, Yeshua, for providing for us. We thank you, Father, for giving us Yeshua. First fruits from the dead. We give you our first fruits. Shem Yeshua.